Ah, good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe them. Marshall skips away, Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. Welcome to another edition of The Voluntary Tackle. That sound you can hear in the background is Eamon Brown topping up his wine glass. Now, it's a fairly prestigious occasion today because we are joined by someone who hasn't been on the show for a little while. That's because he's, you know, had a lot of convictions to deal with, uh, run into the law, spent a lot of time in the Australian outback for unexplained reasons, but he's here now and that's all that matters. It's Chip Jones. Welcome, sir. Oh, it's so good to be here. Um, I wouldn't be anywhere else. I've got a a glass of whiskey, and we've just watched uh, Penrith put South to the sword. That's right. 25 points to 12. Is that how you saw the game going, Chippy? Well, it was hard to see much past uh, Cleary's chin, to Mm. be fair. But uh, when I did get a snippet of the scoreboard... um, it looked like the penalties, a uh, bit of ill-discipline hurt the bunnies. But look, there's something that you alluded to during the game, Chippy, and it's, it's the fact that, yeah, okay, he's got a, a barely passable haircut, but the, he's got the pencil moustache going on. And uh, we've already said it before, but basically he looks like a, an extra out of the game Cluedo. Is he trying to distract people from the chin? Is that the idea about the pencil moustache, is the fact that it, it, it sort of sucks the eyeballs into that area of the face and suddenly people don't feel as though... He's sporting a Jay Leno chin. I, I think I think his chin's really helped his kicking game. He's got some good balance over the front of the ball. When it comes to Penrith and South Sydney tonight, Chippy, um, look, did you think that this cemented Penrith's credentials for being a premiership contender? Obviously, that no one's sort of assuming that they aren't. But um, you know, there was a few people, I think, who thought Souths might have been a little bit better than. What they are, they have they have been on a winning streak, but they have beaten very few contenders on that winning streak, and they've just struck a Penrith Panthers side who, for the last forty minutes, I think physically dominated them. How did you see it? Blew them away. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, Souths, like you say, they started strong and and they look good. But you know, one thing about Penrith, I was thinking this: they've really become, and it's a cliche, but an eighty-minute football team. They seem to just blow teams away at the end of the game they mm. just it's so tough to match it with them if you think being an 80 minute football team is what you need to win a premiership why wouldn't another side go the extra mile and become a 90 minute one and then it should be an arms race yeah. where sides are attempting to be as good as they can sometimes over a period of days and uh, the first one to starve to death uh, loses wouldn't that be good to see the marathon version of an nrl game where it did go for a month and they couldn't. They could. They could occasionally eat. They could drink a little bit of water, but that was it. And as you said, I think a lot of damage would be done probably at, at, at like midnight, you know, or in the early hours of the morning, uh, when people were napping. Yeah, it'd get very dewy, and there'd be a lot of surprise attacks. People say you have to camp inside someone's half. Well, you'd have to literally do that. I think in a, in a game that went for a month. You'd have to live there. You would. You have to live and breathe the game. Look, I think I think we should give it a go. We've got what sixteen teams in the game the moment or is it 18 i think we've got 16 oh well you've used the word teams very loosely there i think we've only got five teams but there are 16 five real teams you know collections of people making up the competition at the moment 
Because if, if we got all 16 teams onto the field and we just had 80-minute games, but they just sub the players in and out in an ongoing game for like a week, so you use all the players, just one after the other, get them on. When they're injured, pull them off. If they die, you know, give them a rest. Um, would you have to wank them off? I don't know why you'd throw that in as a variable. Did you say, would you have to wank them off? Yeah, you said you'd have to go and pull them off. I don't know why you'd have to do that. Oh, so you did say wank them off. Yeah, well, I guess whatever works for you. You could probably find a spot on you, a uh, spot for you on the bench there. Um, you know, when they come off for a bit of a break, you could... Mm. Just get your, uh, you know, I mean, you, how do you go with both wrists? Can you do two at once? I mean, if I have to, I mean, I've occasionally used my own mouth because I am quite flexible, but I'd prefer yeah, to do right. my own pulling. I wouldn't need anyone else to pull it off for me. Oh, no, I'm talking about you You would you would sit on the bench and, and pull off the players. Oh, I'm doing the pulling. So you've got two hands, one either side of you, and, uh, you know, you just fix them up for a bit. I prefer to peel the oranges. But, I mean, if that's what I have to do to get the club over the line, I guess I'd do it. Yeah. Well, see, you're a sports fan. And, and, and I'm a team man. Do you know what I mean? I mean, if that's what is required to win a premiership, um, you know, basically have to reduce myself to some bizarre team Bukaki, then I'll do it. One thing I don't understand is, you know, like, you, we need you out there doing these kind of things. You just saved Jared Hayne so much trouble. If my job was to uh, pull off Jared Hayne, I think I'd definitely need a chastity belt. Um, you know, in the same way that people run on with headgear, I think people would have to have a chastity belt uh, if their job was to service Jared Hayne. Well, from what I've heard, he'd probably scratch clear through that belt. There's been a, a big hiatus since the last time you appeared on the show, and I think there are a lot of legal reasons as to why that is the case. But before we go into your criminal record, I need to ask you this, because the last time you were on the show, you were telling us that on the Saturday night games of football, uh, you dress up in the clown suit and jerk off as you watch the games. Is that still something you do? I used to quite enjoy trying to do that, but leave the window open and, and you know, it kind of helps if there's a passerby outside. You know, you make eye contact and it's a bit of a thrill. Um, needless to say, that ended me in a few legal troubles. So mm. I decided now I'll just, just keep the blinds closed. You know, I mean, I feel like the world's missing out, but it's all something families want to see when they're walking their kids down the street. I don't understand it. But anyway. Why do you need to be watched when you're doing that out of interest? Is it a form of exhibitionism? Oh, look, partly. And also, you know, so I know I'm not alone. The shock factor. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite nice when people's faces are kind of shocked, genuine shock. Yeah. Um, I like because... to think it has something to do with my... Uh, length and, and breadth well, probably not chippy i'd say it's probably more to do with the fact that a clown is jerking off because you think about it from the average punter's point of view how many times in their life have they seen a clown whack out their johnson and give it a toss well this is true they're usually involved with a few other people they're very rarely on their own uh chip you're obviously a big roosters fan like myself uh, they're struggling this year. They have now 43 of their top-grade players uh, either dead or injured. What are their chances this year? Do you think they could be the Mighty Ducks story if they're led by a Trent Robinson, in parentheses, Emilio Estevez-type character, and they, they pull off an unlikely win in 2021? Is it possible, or is that a pipe dream? I think we need Freddie back. He's getting old now, and he's a vegan, 
So he hasn't got a lot of size anymore. Is he not eating the llamas? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's just talking to them. He just hangs out with them. Okay. Yeah, or maybe Cooper Cronk. What's he doing these days? He's only chinwagging on Fox Sports. I'm sure his shoulders are better. Yeah, he's too busy earning millions on Fox for really astute yeah. calls. Have you noticed that about Cooper? He's, I think he puts more effort into his commentary and analysis than he ever did as a player. And he was a player that had excellent attention to detail. He put in the extra four or five hours work at training. Clearly, he's brought that to the world of Fox Sports commentating because some of the information that he comes out with on individual players is quite frightening. It's unusually personal. In fact, I almost get the impression that Cooper Cronk has sort of gone through the garbage of a lot of the players that he's analysing because it's a bit too personal. Yeah, well, it's always a bit, bit uncomfortable when the TV presenter knows what type of you know undies you're wearing and whether they've got skitties in them or not. You know what, maybe what your fibre is in your diet and mm. those kind of things. Like I, I get it, he's a nutritionist and he's aware of that kind of stuff. But mate, uh, you know, I, I actually left a floater in one of the toilets once, and he came in and pulled it out and checked it for COVID. You know, he's very thorough. Why would he be so obsessed with your feces? What would what would the relevance be to him? Well, it's hard to pass by a floating turd. Where you go, I wonder who that was. I wonder what they ate. I mean, maybe not for me or you, but for a mind like Cooper's. Mm. It's, uh... Yeah, Chip, because it strikes me that a floating um, piece of poo is not ripe for an investigative piece. Like, it doesn't need a Sherlock Holmes of shit to find out who it came from. We know it came from someone's anus. That is a case closed. Yeah, see, you, you're a bit of an open and shut kind of guy, though, aren't you, Eamon? You, you, you're not really, you know, some, sometimes people want to delve into the detail. Well, what would you hope to achieve? I mean, say, for example, I'll put this to you, Chippy. You find out which anus it came from and you reunite the poo with the owner. I mean, what kind of closure would that give you and why would you do it? I mean, if you spread it thin... Mm. goes a long way. Mate, Wayne Bennett's currently been interviewed as we speak. Uh, we've made a lot of jokes at Wayne Bennett's expense over the years, particularly involving his age. But deep down, I admire the man greatly. He, he hasn't won a premiership with Stouts yet. This is literally his last chance. He's moving on after this year. Is there a fairy tale in the making? Has Wayne got a plan, Chip? No. No, I think he's fucked, uh, you know. They didn't win tonight. They were showing up. I think uh, I think Wayne should just get ready to pack up and go to... Where's he going? To the Dolphins? What, the Miami next Dolphins? Year? The new Brisbane club that they're going to call the Dolphins or something. Well, there, you're right. Well, there's, there's a number of candidates still on the table. There is big talk that he will be the head coach for whatever that new franchise is, the second team in Brisbane, which I think they're still just calling Brisbane 2. Um, but you're right. I, I, I'm pretty certain Wayne Bennett will be the head coach of whatever that club is, and I'm pretty sure he wants to be because he's essentially courting all of the bids, and I think there are three or four. So it may, it may not be the Redcliffe Dolphins, although apparently they've got most of the money, um, but it could still be. It could be Ipswich. It could be the Firebirds. It could be um, a number of these bids. I think there's a Brisbane Bombers still floating around, although I think that's merged. So whatever, whatever that looks like, in other words, I think old man Bennett will be the leader of it. Isn't that a terrible name for 
a football team in bushfire country. The Firebirds. The, I mean, really. Give me a break. I mean, that's terrible. To make things worse, Chippy, apparently these birds actually deliberately start bushfires. So they're actually pyromaniacs, but they do it strategically um, to corner their prey. Um, as opposed to a, a you know a pyro who just does it for the sheer delirium of watching the country burn, uh, which of course should result in them burning as well. Big shout out to Joan of Arc. It actually made me think, Chip, that you know if they're going to go along the lines of pyromania, why don't they just have you know a genuine pyromaniac like Martin Bright as their logo? Why don't go all the way so that people can really hook into the brand? Was he a pyro? I just thought he liked to kill people. He did. He dabbled. Can you tell me the number six jersey at the at the Sydney Roost has been worn by a lot of amazing players over the year? Obviously, notably Brad Fittler when we were growing up. But you know, yep. James Maloney. We've had some some great people wearing that six. Oh jersey. yeah. How do you feel about yep. a guy called Hutchinson? It does feel like a bit of a fall from grace for the six jersey, doesn't it? Yeah, but he's a working man, and he's good defensively, and he has a go. And the bloke's come back from a punctured lung early, so that gives him a bit of credit. I mean, he didn't die, which is a plus, and um, rushed back to get back in the team. I mean, says something for courage. And who needs all those ribs anyway? I hear he can do that new trick now where he can uh, sort himself out like you used to. Remember at band camp when you used to show us that trick with your missing ribs? Um, it's it's left me horribly depleted uh, physically. Yeah. But- that's okay. It's it's drastically shortened my life, but I got to entertain people for a very short period of time, so it was worth it. Well, which is all, yeah, that's exactly right. Andy Warhol, he had your fifteen minutes, and uh, usually you don't last fifteen minutes, so that that was positive. But look, on Hutch, you're saying that you know, wow, you know, he, he's he's got a punctured lung and he's come back from it, and that makes him a working man. But is just not dying um, enough to make you a good number six in the, the game of rugby league? Because I feel as though talent is also important yeah but most of our talented players have uh died this year haven't they or gone close at least as far as their rugby league careers so last man standing i mean you you wouldn't have heard of sam walker this year had we not had so many injuries i don't Mm. think what do you make got a start next to keary i think he will be very good i think he's still a bit um green but Mm. uh He's a tough little kid and he's got talent. So I think uh, give him time. If we can keep the injury curse off him, we'll be going all right in a year or two, I think. Chip, you know what I love about Sam Walker isn't the fact that he, you know, he's a boom rookie, obviously, and he's prepared to chance his arm. But because he's so young and small, he doesn't only play halfback, he can also jump on those little buggies and bring the kicking tee out. So he actually double handles. Oh. Uh, and yeah, I love that. That makes him a real club man to me, someone that can wear a few hats. Well, that's right. I really enjoyed it last weekend when he was on the sideline ready to take the oranges out. And uh, the guy said, no, I haven't cut the oranges yet. And he said, I'll do it. He said, mate, you're not old enough for the knife yet. You just sit over there. And when they're all cut, I'll let you take them out. How about that? Mm. And he was just wrapped, you know, uh, team player. Do you think his game will develop and advance quite significantly when he does acquire pubic hair. Do you think the the acquisition of body hair and hitting puberty and the balls dropping will be the moment that Sam Walker's career takes off? Well, I want to see how it affects his stepping game. 
Because, mm. you know, having a big chunky set of balls, I can tell you, it really helped me with my center of gravity when you were changing uh, direction. Mm. But, um, you know, time will tell. I mean, it might uh, hinder his kicking game a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see how we go. I think weird thing about you um, and your balls, I know this might sound weird, is obviously they're very low hanging, aren't they? And I remember you used to tell me that uh, when we played touch football together that it actually helped you because it was sort of like a low swinging pendulum of balls. That's and, right. And it actually was yes. almost like a ballast for you, wasn't it? Because when you reached your top speed, your balls were like your centre of equilibrium. And then you always, you know, insisted that it was what made you the athlete that you were. Well, when I really got going and I, I reached top speed, I tend to fling them over my shoulder and mm. just let them flap out behind you. It's, it's, it's a bit like waving at the opposition saying, wouldn't you love to have a go at these? When you threw it over your shoulder, does that mean that uh, you weren't wearing any pants? Like how did that work? logistically with your clothing well it was one of my easiest ways to get through the defensive line was uh, run out without pants on um you certainly weren't getting any extra touches no i wouldn't um so you know and uh people come near you just flop a ball at them and uh they leave you well alone scored a lot of tries that way mm. you also earned a lot of suspensions that way though, as well didn't you double-edged sword sometimes i'd have a bit of a running battle with a referee you know um, they might not like the cut of my jib, but uh, I just tell them to fuck off. Mm. Or they could not like the cut of your penis. They could probably tell if you're circumcised or not when you're not wearing any pants. Well, I had an interesting uh, circumcision because we, we, we couldn't really afford a proper one. And, uh, you know, I remember saying to my dad, you know, do I have to do this? And he said, well, we're going to get you a, a super discount uh, circumcision. It ended up being a real ripoff. Um, but uh, it's healed up and uh, back in the game. Because you did it at the Bunnings, didn't you? Which is an unusual but, place to actually take your child to do the circumcision. I mean, Jewish people take you to a moil. Normal people go to a doctor. But your dad went with the free sausage at the barbecue and the Bunnings. Um, and they're not really qualified for that. I mean, I might be able to inform you about what fertiliser you use on your lawn, but not often the chopping of the foreskin. Well, they did make a bit of a dog's breakfast of it, um, to be fair. But, you know, I, it's partly my fault because I'd learnt that if you tie uh, a piece of string around your tooth and slam the door, it pulls the teeth out. And I thought, well, surely this will work uh, downstairs as well. Reasonably painful lesson to learn. But, um, you know, in the end, we got that sucker off. Yeah, the Joneses, I remember, because obviously we've known each other for a long time, the Joneses did things differently. And I think they did that with all of your siblings who were all happened to be male. And I guess, you know, that door experiment going horribly wrong for multiple boys essentially meant there was a lot of penises ripped off, but it, hell, it made a hell of a wind chime. Oh, I've still got them. Look, uh, to get back into some footy here, Chip, um, I've just noticed on the, the big screen behind us, uh, Ivan Cleary, has just been interviewed. Now, we made a comment during the game, and it is an unusual feature of a first-grade coach who is, you know, the head coach of a team who's doing very well, has done well for two seasons in a row, and yet in all of that time, Chip, he has not cracked a single smile. Uh, we noticed various points during tonight's game against South uh, where Penrith are doing very well, particularly in that second half, and they flashed up to the coach's box, and yet he still had a face 
that looked like it was made of wet cement. Is that a good thing to have a coach who essentially looks like they are a, an Abraham Lincoln statue? Well, it's very stoic. You know, I, I think the players know what they're going to get when they look at him. It's going to be the same as every other time they've looked at him. So, you know, there's no emotion. You can't tell whether you're doing well or badly. And uh, everyone's fighting for their spot, you know, because you can't, you, you really can't read him. And I think that's the same with uh, with his son, Nathan. Uh, he doesn't doesn't really show a lot of emotion. And if it wasn't for that silly moustache, I wouldn't even think he had a sense of humour. But, mm. um, you know, he, he, he's he's got his team playing well. And uh, I'll tell you what, he wears a mask well. Um, you know, when he had that mask on in the coach's box there, he, he just looked like, you know, he was really doing his bit to uh, slow the spread. I think you're right. I think the game of rugby league would be very interesting if everyone was masked up. And I don't even mean these flimsy kind of material type masks. I'm talking like serious kind of outbreak space suits um, where, yep. you know, where you're dealing with a bowler. That would make the game, especially the collisions, Chippy, the collisions would look interesting with two people running at full speed towards each other in these kind of protective bacteria outfits. Uh, and I guess then the tactic would be trying to pierce the outfit so that they died of whatever the disease was. Exactly right. And uh, I'd like to see some, some, some high shots in that protective gear. Let's really knock a hood off or two. You know, mm. those kind of uh, perspex uh, hoods, and they're no good with the peripheral vision. So, uh, I mean, they can really alter your DNA in one shot. Um, and and that's kind of what you're looking for in the game of rugby league. I, you know, anything that brings a little bit more violence um, or uh, threat of injury is uh, a plus. Yeah, I'm always for that. I'm always for that. But I will say this, in terms of sheer athleticism, um, you know, I have a feeling wearing the spacesuit and looking a little bit like Dustin Hoffman out of the movie Outbreak is going to take a few metres off your speed, wouldn't it? I think it'll hurt your post-contact metres. Um, and it's tough to slip through a line when you've got, uh, I mean, a lot of extra suit. I mean, could we do something where we have skin-tight suits of that quality, you know, so it's tough to pull the jersey, as it were? Mm. Well, they do that now, Chippy. Have you noticed, I don't know if you've ever done a contrast, flick back to a game from, say, 1996 to a game today. I mean, the, the jerseys are very skin tight. You can definitely see the contours of the nipples. That's how tight they are. Thankfully, the shorts aren't quite as tight just yet. But you go back to the 90s, and it almost feels as though everyone's in a bad hip-hop band. You know, they're like big baggy. Everything was baggy. And I can't believe they used to do it back then because, obviously, that's leverage chip. That's something you can grab onto to tackle someone. Um, and everything at the yeah, moment is about not being grabbed. No, no, you're 100% right, and, and the game's come a long way. I mean, back then, not only did they have the baggiest, baggiest uh, jerseys in the world, but they had shoulder pads as well. Mm. So, I mean, you were really beefed right out, and then, you know, the jersey would hang over your shorts, and your socks would be down, and, you know, your boots looked a mess. I mean, they weren't even thinking about haircuts back then. You're 100% right, because, you know, especially with the shoulder pads, I don't know if you remember big Paul Chief Harrigan. I mean, he had the biggest... Oh, shoulder pads the in the entire game, the chief. And essentially, he looked like a gargantuan Olivia Newton-John. Well, he was actually, surprisingly enough, uh, a lot of people don't don't know this, but he, he was the pioneer of the Hopawade tickle. Um, but he did it He did it lovingly. And uh, it wasn't to do 
uh, you know, slowing down to play the ball, so to speak. It was, you know, it was all about, you know, giving giving someone a little look, giving them a little feel, and mm. uh, just letting them know that you're there. You know? Chip, do you think we'll ever see um, the Hopawati tactic of of anal jabbing come back? Because I know it copped a lot of heat at the time, but I think over the course of time, that the ensuing fifteen years, at least for me. I can tell you that I, I, I've come to admire the tactic. Um, I know, you know, that's not everyone's cup of tea, but I remember thinking, I think that really did slow down the ruck. And that, obviously that's a considerable advantage. Do you think that everything will come full circle and eventually the game will see Hopawati as a bit of a visionary? Well, you know, I think a lot of players have tried to, uh, you know, improve and perfect the tactic. Uh, the only piece of advice I'd give uh, young footballers... Uh, like Jared Hayne, is that you you practice it on the same sex and make sure you pick the right hole. Um, Chippy, have you been um, keeping tabs on the new rugby league documentary, uh, Tales of Tigertown? I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's basically a fly-on-the-wall series about the West's Tigers. Uh, and it's really interesting because it gives you a breakdown of just how shit that club is from the inside. It's quite fascinating. Well, I did watch an episode. Um... I must admit I fast forwarded through quite a lot of it. Um, and the only thing that seemed to be consistent through it was well, the Tigers were losing, of course, but also um, the F-bombs that uh, old Madge was dropping um, just seemed to only really be there for show. It was no, there was nothing behind them. There was no decent advice. It was just swearing. Um, <clears throat> maybe you need more than that to be a successful coach i'm not sure but uh tactics and you know maybe having some good players um maybe even coaching at a decent club would be a good start no offense to the biggest tiger of course but um i think uh, you know i i think he was trying to be a good coach a leader of men and break it onto the Hollywood scene. And uh, I, I'm not sure he's successful in really any of those. He's lacking on all the T's. Um, he's got no tactics, uh, struggling for talent. Mm. Uh, there's no teeth. team. Um, he's got bad teeth. Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's terrible. Um, not good testosterone. He's, he's, he's definitely not a female, I think. I can't see him swapping genders, although I think it might improve the show. Give it a go. Wouldn't that be a twist to the doco at the end where it's just a big sex change reveal? Yes, that's that would make it watchable. I'd probably watch that episode. Uh, I'm not saying I wouldn't fast forward through most of it, but I'd probably watch a bit of it. Quite seriously, there ever will be a, a female head coach. Obviously, we've had uh, women refs. Um, Not, I don't think you'll ever have a. I know. I don't think you'll ever have a NRL top grade female coach unless she was born a male. A, you know, a male. Um, that, that you've got a chance there, um, but a straight female. Um, I, just, I You know, I, I don't see it. Why would the woman's sexuality play a role there for you? Well, because. Because you know when you've when you've won the grand final and the team comes and pours all the Gatorade bucket over you, you know there's there's a lot of sexual um, harassment claims there. That's uh, wet t-shirt problems. 
um, you know, it's not quite the same when you're tapping bare bums in the shower saying, good game, mate, that was mm. beauty. Um, you know, unless you're prepared to, uh, you know, go the whole way and um, celebrate with the boys. What do you make of that tradition, mate, of, of tipping the Gatorade over the coach? And it seems to me that Australia has followed suit. It seemed like it started in the NFL. It was a bit of an American type of tradition. And obviously Australians uh, do tend to be you know, sheepish uh, when it comes to these kind of sporting trends. But I've got to tell you, the first time I noticed it, uh, I think it was in the early noughties, it might have been Ricky Stewart in 02, actually. And I remember thinking, well, that's a daft waste of you know, solid rehydration. Um, but it seems to have caught on and people do it all the time now. Why is that a worthwhile thing to do? Like, where did this tradition come from? Why are we looking to continue it? And I've got to tell you this, I don't know if you're you're aware of this, but the betting agencies actually run uh, bets on what flavour of Gatorade will be used to douse over the winning coach. Now, I think that means things have got a bit too far, but I'm very interested in your thoughts. Why can't we, why does Gatorade have a monopoly? Can't, can't we do it with some other types of uh, liquid beverage? Could we not have maybe, you know, scalding hot tea? Chip, I think you're really onto something there. I've got to tell you, there'd be nothing, I think, more triumphant than, for example, Ricky Stewart in 2002, guiding the Roosters to the competition win, but then getting third-degree burns off the back of it because you have to really earn that win. I think it would send a message. Well, that's, yeah, you've got to want it. And, and the other thing about Ricky is if they'd have poured that hot boiling tea over him at that point, it would have been good for the team too, because that was as good as he got. He was only downhill from there. So a couple of months in traction with third degree burns might've done the club some good. It's, it's a sad story with Ricky, isn't it? Because that was his debut year as a first grade coach. I bet if you'd said to him after he'd won that grand final, by the way, mate, you will never win another one. Um, he wouldn't have believed you, especially if you'd, he had third-degree burns through hot tea. Um, but yeah, he'd probably not, that, not even listening. No, in fact, he'd, he probably would never have coached again, Chip, if we actually followed through of your idea of scolding him. But it is a bit sad, isn't it? Because we're talking close to 20 years ago now, 19 years ago that was, and he must have thought it was so easy because he'd just come into the first-grade coaching ranks for the first time. He'd coached a winning Canterbury Premier League team. He must have went, I'm a gun coach. This is easy. And as it turns out, uh, all that happened was is he had Brad Fittler in his team and it had nothing to do with him. He also had a bloke called Mullins. And uh, wasn't wasn't he an incredible, incredible player for the Roosters? Mm. He was a lot faster when he was on the coke. He was, uh, but I thought he was fastest catching up to the coke. Like if you happen to wave a bag in front of him at the 20 meter line, which mm. I tried once, I've never seen him move over that quickly to sign a, you know, autograph on a shirt, you know, um, but top bloke, we had a lot of good times. Not many I can talk of, but uh, you know, pretty good. You, you were mentioning before about some of the best number six uh, players in the Roosters uh, colors. And you, you mentioned Fittler and, and Maloney and Todd Carney, of course. And, you know, there were some highlight players. But Braith and Nasta, didn't you just love what he brought to the number six role? I reckon he made every other number six look better. Well, that much is true, Chip. You're right, because just by sheer contrast, uh, you had a bunch of number sixes who were supposed to be there. And then, of course, in contrast, you had Braith, 
who was a lock forward at best, probably a number 17, um, if I'm to be completely honest. And yet he did carve out a career in the six. And strangely, the Roosters never won a premiership while he was there. So I do think there is a connective tissue there, Chip. Um, but you've, you've, you've raised a good point there because I did think Hutch might be the worst six that the Roosters have ever had in my time. But of course, Braithen Astor, he held down that role incorrectly for a long period of time. That's not easy. You're 100% right. And, and, uh, but I think one of the things about Braithen Astor was he was one of these players that he wasn't just shit wearing a number six. He wasn't just the worst number six. He also put in a pretty good claim for being the worst number 13. Do you think Brayton Astor, I mean, where do you sit on his commentary at the moment? Do you think he's brought his on-field form to the, the Fox Sports commentary box? I think he's got that same look in his eyes that kind of says, I have no idea how I fooled you people into letting me on here, but I'm just going to go with it for as long as I can. Um, so in commentary, he's quite similar. He's... Uh, you know, ready to pretend he's good at what he's doing at any moment. Mm. Um, but uh, otherwise, he kind of keeps quiet. Yeah, Chip, it's been a while since you've had you on TVT. It's, it's nice to have you back, sir. Have you, have you missed the show at all? Not really. But we've recently struck 100 episodes, mate, 100 episodes of our dribble. Oof. And you, sir, were, wow, were that's... part of a great many of those. Do you have a favourite moment when you think back in the TVD, TVT memory bank and you think, Oh, that was a. We really got to the crux of an issue there. Oh, there are plenty of those, but most of them never made it through the uh, editing process, um, either due to uh, what might be considered inappropriate, or um, you know maybe not uh, not for general consumption. Um, yeah, a lot of them would have got us into deep legal shit. Well, I've I've never had a problem uh, with uh, anything I've said coming back to haunt me in a legal way. Uh, which makes exactly one of us. <laughs> exactly, mate. I wish I could say that uh, hasn't been the case for me, but yes, I have been sued, and I can say this, it's not much fun, mate. Um, no. When the person who sued you had a background um, allegedly in violent activities, that puts an extra edge on things. Well, you've learnt the word allegedly, so that's 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 not nothing. <laughs> And a big shout out to our audience. Be really careful calling someone a terrorist. Make sure they are. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that would be helpful. Don't just go calling people terrorists. It's, it turns out that if you say that willy nilly, um, you can get yourself into a bit of a legal snafu. So that would be my advice for the show. Jibby, uh, refocusing things slightly on rugby league. Parramatta, they've, they're, the wheels have come off, mate. They've, um, they've become the new dragons. You know, everyone used to call the dragons the April premiers. Now they just laugh at them and go, <laughs> you shit all year round. Can you tell the listeners about why that might be the case? What is happening to Parramatta and why is it happening every year? I'm impressed that they've, uh, they've gotten nearly to the end of the regular season before the wheels have come off. And, uh, you know, give them another five to ten years of uh, solid recruiting and uh, maybe they'll make it to uh, a final or two before the wheels start to come off. But what's driving it, Chippy? Because they start out the season with so much confidence, almost with, if you, if you don't mind me saying, gay abandon. 
which yeah. is an unusual phrase, and I, I just wanted to rebirth it here on the show. But it, it, about three or four weeks before the finals every year, they start to play, and I, no disrespect to this group of people, but it's effectively a squad of 17 people with cerebral palsy. Um, Clint Gufferson might be the exception. He seems to still maintain a lot of his speed and coordination. But as a group, they just absolutely implode. I want to put this to you. Is it psychological? Is it a form of psychological trauma? They've had three or four seasons of being awful um, at this time of the year when the going gets tough. Have they learned that habit? Have they learned to be shit chip? Well, I think that the issue there might be that they start with this gay abandon. Mm. They have this idea of just abandoning all reason and just, you know, being fully gay and happy and, and confident about what they're doing. Um, and it isn't, bef- you know, long before you're struggling to give birth to any kind of living brand of rugby league. It, 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 it can only last so long. Their peak was basically knocking out Tedesco. When Sivo sent Tedesco into another dimension, um, that was about as good as they got. And I'm just going to put this to you. People have talked about Parramatta, you know, underachieving. But if you have a look at that squad, let's take Gutho out because I think he is a quality player. There isn't exactly too many marquee players in that squad. I mean, name the best three players in that squad for you. Yeah, you, I mean, you know, Mitchell Moses should be in one of the better ones, but I don't really believe him. Um, <clears throat> you know, Sivo is very good. I mean, he's a beast. Um, you have to give him that. I don't mind Madison, but he's not a marquee player, I don't think. He's, he's you know, got a bit of punch and he's aggressive and he can, he can play. You know, um, the best of Fergo was, well... <laughs> Some time ago. Um, the best of Fergo was when he had hair. That's how long ago <laughs> when it comes to Fergo. Do you remember there was a time, you may not remember this, Chip, but there was a time when uh, Blake Fergo, Fergo had a mullet. Make giant breaks and, and, and make 80-metre runs and the wind would rip through his luscious locks. Um, but, of course, they seemed to fall out. He lost his hair over a very short space of time. That was what was unusual about him. He didn't have a slow recession like most men. Uh, he seemed to go into an off-season and come back as bald as a badger, which was a bit weird. Um, but I agree with you. I think your marquee players for Parramatta are Mitchell Moses, which is telling, right, because if you're going to be fair income about it and you said, you know, where does Mitchell Moses rank in terms of the game's halfbacks, you'd probably say he's not even in the top five. And yet no. we're calling him... Parramatta's marquee player. So I put this question to you. Are we expecting too much of Parramatta? Are they really underachieving or is this exactly where Parramatta should be? Can you imagine someone like Kalen Ponga playing for <laughs> Parramatta or a strike player? They don't really have a lot of strike. Um, and so, you know, I think they were the leading um, team for uh, second phase play or offloads you know, and uh, that's a great way to play. But like you say, you need confidence to be able to do that. And when those balls are not uh, coming out right uh, to your support players and they're, they're not taking that pass or, you know, it all starts to go wrong. Mm. So, you know, I, I don't think they've got enough strike. And I think they basically built their game around second phase play. 
Look, changing gears slightly, Chip, I need to ask you about this because it's a fairly, it's a bittersweet story. But the Morris twins, we love the Morai, um, obviously over at East. Can't beat a Morai. They've been, um, you know, they've had this renaissance late in their career and we love them around the club. But obviously Brett Morris, uh, season-ending injury earlier in the year and it, it, it you know, ended his career. Um, and at the same time, I feel as though that injury psychologically also ended the career of Josh Morris. Now, uh, I noticed the moment Brett Morris got injured was the moment that Josh Morris started to put on probably 10 to 15 kilos of unwanted carriage. I feel as though he's only a couple of cheeseburgers away from a Jenny Craig ad. I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, has he become obese? And is Josh Morris um, still worth been on the roster for the Roosters or should he retire with his brother, Brett? So what we need to do here is we need to think a little bit outside the box. And this is where my speciality lies, as you know. Mm. You, you think exclusively. We need, to, we, we need to put Josh next to Brett and we're going to surgically swap the bits into the brother that's hitting form. So if Brett's busted his knee, take Josh's knee. I mean, they are twins. I'm sure the knee will take. Um, and you get him out in the field. And when he busts an eyeball or his head doesn't work, well, you, you swap it over again back into Josh and you send him out. We just go for one working Morai. Mm. Um, and we're going to call him uh, Brosh Morai. Mm. So sounds a bit uh, like part of the human yeah. centipede at the moment. Yeah, we just we just stick the working pieces together and send him out. Like I reckon we could make one good informed player from those two twins. We've so got the technology. You, okay, I, I like where your head's at. So what you'd like to do is essentially get the twins and into a, a lab, preferably operated by some kind of Nazi, where you would disassemble both twins and just put the best parts into one person. Well, you need the Nazis because, you know, German engineering and all that. But mm. beyond that, um, yeah, we just, we just, uh, and I, I think we should be doing this more at the Roosters is just have a few donors. You know, they don't have to be in the 17, but just body parts. I mean, you know, we could have got um, Boyd Cordner a new brain stem, you know, we could have fixed uh, Jakey Friend up with a new uh, sternum or something just just you know it's like your car needs an overhaul every once in a while well let's just get into some surgery do you know what i love about that chippy your idea there because if you were to merge both twins you could still call them bmw like the great german engineer because it would be both morris wingers it would all it would make sense because let's be honest like if 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 if, if one of the morris in form and the other one isn't what good is it if the other one's got both working knees not using them. Which brain would you go for? That's a good question. Mm. I'd go Brett because he's more. I, I thought I, I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> I mean, let, let's be honest. Not a lot of Josh is getting in there, is it? It's going to be mainly Brett. Maybe with Josh's lats, because you know I like I like the extra size that Josh got has. Some lats on him longer than Brett. But yeah. essentially, you want most of Brett Morris in this unusual amalgam that you're planning to make with a Nazi-esque doctor like Joseph Mengler at the helm. Just mingle it up a bit. 
Mate, um, listeners might not know this, but you, you're no longer living in Sydney. Uh, Chip Jones is That's down. right. I've moved to Tasmania. I'm down in the uh, Apple Isle. So, um, yeah, I've just been hanging down with, uh, with, with me, mate, and, and, and shooting, shooting some things. Mm. So, uh, but it's great to get away and get back on the TVT. And, and even these days, apparently, I, I was surprised that they had uh, the internet down here. But yeah, sure enough, Tasmania, we've got the internet. So lucky us. Do you know what I love about Tasmania is the fact that they've got a premier down there. I believe his name is Gutwin, which is a fantastic I've center. got those in most of the states these days. Yeah, well, sometimes you have a chief minister, mate. But um, you're right, that's a territory be technical but they've got this guy called gutwin down there who is not only the premier but he's also the brother and slash uncle of about 80 percent of the populace so there is that kind of tight-knit community isn't there down in tassie well it is nice because you know um one, one of the things about Taz, tassie is that the girls uh don't run that fast so there's certainly a lot of inbreeding you mean so they can't get away? Is that the is that the inference? Yeah, they, they yeah, this they, they struggle to uh, they struggle to pull away over the hundred. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a fascinating life down there in Tasmania. Um, I've been down there a couple of times actually. I've I've loved my time down there. I've um, it's an interesting point though. I mean, I've, I've I've been up to Launceston, bit of a hole, Hobart, much better. But I, I stopped in at Port Arthur once and um i found this a bit weird because you know obviously there was an immense tragedy which happened there in 1996 um there was a horrible tragedy that happened there a few years later uh ricky ponting only got three runs in a one-off test match down there um i'm not always um and ah about which one was the bigger tragedy um but what was really interesting is when i went for a tour of port arthur chippy um they made a, a special note to say don't mention 1996. We don't want any questions about it. How do you, what do you think that means for the concept of grief? Because if something bad happens, generally speaking, people mourn it, right? They they set up a monument or they a memorial or they um, you know they might say every year we're going to um, dedicate some well wishes to it. But down there, it was really awkward because they said, look, we don't want anyone to mention it. There was no memorial really down there at all. And yet this was a place that was home to one of the harshest penal colonies in Australia's history. They were perfectly fine with the brutal conditions and torture that went on for early Australian convicts. But 1996 was out of the question. I know this is not rugby league related, but I found that a bit weird. I want to get your thoughts. Well, you certainly beat me to the punch uh, at the end there when you mentioned that it wasn't rugby league related. But, you know, there's... You, you know, you do you do make an interesting point, and I don't know that anyone has ever linked Port Arthur to rugby league. Should we get you know a team I mean? down there, Chippy? Should Port Arthur be the seventeenth franchise in the National Rugby League? Oh, that's good. Yeah, would it would it be inappropriate to call them the Port yeah. Arthur Targets? I don't think this franchise is going to work, mate. I want to go down memory lane with you a little bit here. Um, I want you to tell me your three best fullbacks you've ever seen play the game in your time. Andrew Walker um, was was one for the Roosters that I just loved watching. Um, 
best fullback. See, if I'm not going modern day, because there are fullbacks today that are just ridiculous. But like I'm thinking the old school uh, at the moment. So, I mean, Darren Lockyer played fullback back in the day, and he was very, very good at that uh, particular role. Um, who else did I really like as a fullback? Well, who was better, Darren Lockyer or Billy Slater? Yeah, see, Billy Slater was the beginning of this new type of fullback. Mm. So they're like, he's from the different era. And I'd, I'd say he probably started that era. So he's allowed. You, you have to put him in there. I mean, he was so good, it was painful. You know yeah. what I mean? And he, he ran angry. When he ran, he ran angry. <laughs> yeah. Know? No other kind of way to say it. And uh, <clears throat> so intense. Chip, can and, we turn uh, to the um, the issue of fortune telling, if you'll indulge me? Um, I want to know, uh, using your rugby league expertise, who is going to win the 2021 Premiership and why? Um, the Roosters, because I'd love them to. The Storm, because they probably will. The Panthers, because it's a beautiful chin. And Souths because Wayne Bennett. Wayne Bennett, I love it. And and what about uh, outside chance Parramatta Eels? No, that's let's not be silly. <laughs> but Manly are also a dark horse, mate. Do you rate their chances? Yeah, Ma- Ma- Manly are a dark horse. I mean, I think um, Tommy Turbo is going to um, have a busted face for the rest of his life. But let's be honest, he wasn't mm. that great anyway. Um. And Cherry Evans, you know, he, he, he can play really well when he's not the only one. You know, if other people are playing well, he kind of lifts his game. So, mm. you know, if they keep playing well, they can, they can be there. Um, I'd love to see Dylan Walker get bashed up a bit more. Yeah, um, well, other teams are really, hoping. They're really pushing ahead with that project quite well, I've noticed, the last three weeks. Uh, whoever Dylan mm. Walker has played, um, they have essentially, you know, used his forehead as the ultimate target of their tackling, which, which has been enjoyable oh. to watch. Tom Drabojevic, what an unusual body shape that man is because he's very tall. He's almost bean poly, but at the mm. same time, he's extremely strong. So it's a bit off-putting. He's almost like a giraffe that's very quick but has been pumped full of human growth hormone. Um, and I think once you put that in the rugby league context, a souped-up giraffe is exactly what a rugby league team needs because, you know, he snuffs out the highball and if he gets on top of you, he will trample you. How do you see Tommy Turbo? Is he is he the best fullback you may have seen in recent times? He's got to be up there. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's quite at Tedesco's level. No, actually, who am I kidding? He's probably he's he's probably knocking on the door. I mean, Tedesco's held the spot for a while, but uh, you know, if Tommy Turbo's not knocking on the door, then I don't know. It must be very close for me. It's between Tommy Turbo, James Tedesco, or Luke Burt. It's very difficult to separate those three people. But uh, look, this has been a pleasure, Chippy Jones. It's been nice to have you back on TVT. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, the several bottles of wine which I've consumed during this time and my eyes no longer open 
as they once did earlier tonight. That's that's how much I've had. Uh, how's your whiskey been tonight? I've well, well and truly gone. Okay, you polished it off. <laughs> There's none left. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. What gone. do you? What does a chip nice do when you've drunk your house dry? What's your emergency backup supply look like? Go to someone else's house. You used to just drink your ear medicine when you ran out of alcohol oh, when you were younger. Oh, I like that. A nice play. That was very Bob Hope of you, mate. Good, good gag that one. I liked it, um, mate. Thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I don't think we've accomplished much, but it was nice to have you on nonetheless. And we are consistent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we regularly accomplish nothing. Oh well, that's a pleasure, mate. Um, sign it off. Yeah, it feels it sometimes feels a little bit stiff. Yeah, but well, that's um, because we're that's not. Only, that's only when I start looking at those dirty pictures. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that ultimately, when you do look at those naked pictures of Jean Paul II, that you're not really got your mind on the game anyway. Well, the hardest thing when you're trying to find a decent naked picture of him is there's so many little kids in the way. <laughs>